Well, here we are. Yeah. Welcome in to uh, Totem Talks, the best of the rest. It truly was. Truly was the best of the rest this this uh, season. It always yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the best of the rest episode for season five of Totem Talks. If you have never tuned into a best of the rest or hell, it's been a while. If you've just forgotten what it's all about, uh, I'll take a second. I'll walk you through it. Basically, uh, Nick and I have a formula for the albums we listen to during the season. We pick the first album, the last album, and then barring a little bit of wiggle room between us or some questions, we'll pick the most popular, most profitable, best-selling album of the in-between. To hit three albums per artist, it works, it's fun. However, that doesn't always hit the well-knowns, the albums we may know by an artist, or just other albums by an artist that we want to showcase. And that's where the best of the rest comes in. It is literally us just going through the season and then picking albums either by artists we want to highlight or an album that we may have missed and want to point out that, hey, this album's also good. Check it out. And that's what the best of the rest is. We each picked seven albums and we ranked them and we'll we'll go through them seven to one, although the rankings are yeah. tough. This is a mostly They're positive so episode. Exactly, exactly. Everything is good. It's just a matter yeah. of degree. And honestly, I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Like I rank them the week that I listen to them. I could listen to them all again this week and, rank and them re-rank differently. them and it could be different, sure. you know, like it's probably so true. like a few things would stay the same as they were, but it's, I it's think so my, my top three for you would not move. Okay. Yeah. But... I think my top three for me probably wouldn't move either, but everything else could go. I mean, it's, it's very tough. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. So what we'll do is we're going to start from seven each. We'll work our way down the ranks to number one. We'll talk a little bit about them. This is typically a shorter episode, right? Uh, even though we're talking about seven albums each, and we'll give the ranking for the other person as well. So whatever I say is my rank seven. Nick will be like, "Oh, I had that ranked as your number one, you fool, right. you dumb idiot." And that's pretty much how it works. Yeah, that is exactly. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> There's a cough. Okay, you all right. <laughs> I'm all right. Listen, would it really be a a calendar year if I didn't have to recover from COVID at some point? No, it would not. (laughs) So here we are. Yeah, exactly. But I'm all good. I'm ready to roll. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to this season. And if you you are an avid listener uh, of us here at Totem Talks, be prepared because after this episode, we will be taking a small break. Very we'll small. be, yeah, very small break. We'll be regrouping and then coming out with our season six under a slightly different format, which we have discussed. Maybe we'll give a quick refresher at the end of the episode just so you're not too scared. Yeah. And I think, and Nick, you know, without further ado. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. What are you saying? I was going to say one other thing. I was going to say with season six, I think we could possibly expect, considering that we're going to have head-to-head matchups instead of three artists at a time, and also our series, uh, you know, year in review is is completed. I'm thinking with season six is also going to come a handful of uh, interesting little uh, nonlinear episodes that we're going to be throwing in here and there. You know, I got to get back on top of those. I am truly all about it. And also maybe I was I would love to experiment more with uh some of the streaming stuff we can do. Sure. You, you know, I think that would be a ton of fun. I know uh we've discussed, you know, potential interactive games with audience members and yeah. streams. Things that maybe won't be published in the like podcast in in our right. anchor, you know, list. Sure. But we'll be more stream based to try to Engage with the audience on a more one-on-one level. Sure. I love it. All good stuff. All right. Now, without further ado, I'll get in. I'll start with my Yeah, start with your number seven. And This was tough. 
this was tough. And when I was about to say again, this is seven, but it was really good. Uh, and I'm like, I have nothing but good things to say about this album. In fact, it's fairly critically acclaimed. It actually sits at uh, number 234 on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. Okay. And it is Master of Reality by Black Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, like, it's, seven, it's a strong seven. It's a strong seven for me. And it's mostly because I think Sabbath really shows the range on this record. Maybe a little bit more so than some of the other ones we listened to for the podcast with songs like Solitude. Mm-hmm. Which are like such a great but different sound from what you expect here from the band. It's sure, cleanser towards the end of the album. Um, there's a really good mix of heavier stuff in in this as well. Children of the Grave is probably the best song uh, on the record. It's also really excellent, um, and it's just funny to me that this is also where Geezer like puts in some pretty like openly Christian lyrics for a band that is always like, they're Satan. They're so satanic. It's like, no, nah, they like, just listen to the words. They sound actually kind of religious. So <clears throat> I think, don't know what you're talking about. I think if people listened to each other's words more often, the world would be a better place. Fair enough. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I also had that ranked at seven for mm-hmm. you. I was torn uh, between what I had seven and what I had six for you, I feel like there's positives and negatives to both. And honestly, mm-hmm. there is a distinct chance that I would flip those if given another sure. listen. But I, I, we are in agreement so far. So far. Well, well, and then we'll go on to you, my friend. Uh, yeah. So my number seven was tough. Yeah. Because I feel like it suffered a little bit for me. From recency bias, uh, my number seven was "Highway to Hell" by ACDC. Oh, interesting. Okay, and I think it's just because the complaint we had for ACDC, which was our season finale episode, mm-hmm. was that even though there's some differences, there's a lot of sameness in their work, mm-hmm. and it was just a lot of the same again. So there wasn't anything too incredibly different on this album. Obviously, ACDC has catchy, catchy songs. Yeah, uh, all the same here. Highway to Hell may be one of their catchiest. Even you can you can argue that fact. Yeah, I mean that riff is pretty iconic. Yeah, exactly, and, and it's simple too, which is cool. It, all the talent is still there. It's it's a good album to listen to. It just felt like, what am I necessarily getting in this album that I'm not getting in another ACDC album? Hmm. And the answer was not much. Sure. So, therefore, I ranked it seven. Okay, fair enough. So, I actually had this one as three for you. What? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. I mean, like, I listened to this record. Keep in mind, I had all the Bon Scott ACDC albums, and I used to listen to them constantly when I was, like, 14, 15, 16 years old. And listening to Highway to Hell all the way through for the first time in, like, several years... It really hit me right in the nostalgia. I was like, the, I That's remember fair. why I remember why I fell in love with this band at that age on this album in particular. And the one thing that I will say, I mean, yes, there's a lot of sameness in ACDC sound. However, if you think objectively, we talked about how the difference in the Brian Johnson era, like there was not really growth. But if right. you listen to this album after listening to High Voltage, I'm like, this is a band that is getting better. This is a band that's no longer relying on one four five and blues sounds every single time they sure. they definitely and i think um if you want blood you've got it is the best song in their discography i think it's just i i do song. agree that that is a highlight for me yeah and especially a highlight for me with i mean as much as you can find a like deeper cut of acdc with mm-hmm. how famous they are sure. it's a little bit of a deeper cut a it's little something bit yeah that, i've I've definitely always considered it their best, though. Like, I've always sure. heard that song. I, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. And, yeah. again, as we're saying here, nobody disliked any of these albums. Sure, for sure. So, it's 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 tough. I just... Yeah. A little bit too samey for me, and that's why yeah, I, it was my seventh. Yeah. Now, do you want a snake and do your sixth? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my sixth, which... This one, actually, is the only one that I'll say suffered... A little bit for me uh, from maybe a bit of dislike at times. And I know... I think I might have the same one as you here. uh, 
It was number four uh, by Stone Temple Pilots. And here's the problem. And I I didn't go back and listen to our Stone Temple Pilots episode because I wanted to give my opinion. And I think Mm -hmm. it might be similar. Yep. Half of this album is like alt-rock, crungy, like a little bit. A little bit almost derivative sounding. It was a little too paint by numbers. A little too paint by numbers and formulaic. And it was mm-hmm. like, I've heard this before and I've heard it better. Yeah, 100%. But uh, the other half of this album, with songs like Church on Tuesday, and uh, of course, of course, my computer's going to freeze <laughs> and not give me the chance to look at other stuff. But well, the big on hit on this was Sour Girl. Sour Girl was yeah, the, the Sour only Girl. huge hit from this record, which is by far the best song on it, in my opinion. Yeah. And they have this, like, lighter, harmonic, experimental, like, completely different sound in their lighter stuff. And it's it's like, you, it takes it to 11. It's so good. It's literally, if the entire album was the heavier stuff... Uh, this is an album that I might have like texted Nick and I was like, I want to switch this out with something yeah. else. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the the lighter stuff existed and was so good, I would I would take a whole album of that. Yeah. And you know, like Atlanta and Sour yeah. Girl and Church on Tuesday. Atlanta, like, I guess, was probably the second biggest hit. Yeah, it was so good. And it was refreshing and it, it was very interesting to me. Yeah. The the dichotomy of this album and therefore I think the the differences and interest and the the intricacies of the album is what made me put it at number 6. Sure, and I have it at number 7. Um for for pretty much everything that you've already brought up, it was for a handful of the acoustic tracks, excellent <coughs> and for a lot of their heavier tracks, mediocre at best. Yep. Exactly, and that's and for me, like that's the least consistent of the records, so that had to be seven. And I, and um, I get that. My six, I think, might surprise you. I think we probably have the same six for me, which is um, it's a band that I truly love, and I chose this record because it is often, um, you know, discussed as being their best. Although okay. I think we actually covered their best album during the season, which is Ocean by Eloy. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a great concept, right? So it's it's uh-huh. an album all about like the doom of Atlantis and how it was sunk. And at the time it was written essentially as like an, an analogy to the Cold War and what was going on. And in that, I think it's really awesome. I think the musicianship on the record is really excellent. Um, and and I, I don't have too many complaints. Like in and of itself, I really do enjoy the record a lot. I guess my confusion has always been why it's considered their best or most classic record. When I do think Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes is the peak of their work. Like, had we had these been flipped, had we covered Ocean on the podcast, Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes might have been like one or two for me sure. um, on this list. And I think it, it's definitely the next cut above this record. Yes. And I had this album ranked at number seven. Uh, and honestly, for, for I thought you the said same... six because you had seven. You, for I wrote seven reality. twice, did I? Yeah. Yes, I wrote seven twice. Oops. Uh, let me let me ponder. Let me ponder. Yeah, I will rank. Uh, I will rank this at number six. Excellent. Uh, we got to try to stay exactly the same on that. Yeah, I think we're doing well so far. Yeah. Uh, but Nick, it's for a lot of the same reasons you said. I don't want to rehash. Yeah. It was Prague is not necessarily my cuppa. You know, you could say, like, and I really enjoyed Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes, and for the, this one was just, uh, I would rather listen to that, and that's why yeah, I'm ranking it I well. Agree. It's like, for best of the rest, like, I like albums that maybe replace or, you know, at least partially take the place of some of the albums in the season. That's kind of the way I like to look at it, and... Eloy, uh, Eloy, I'll, I'll I'll continue to have silent cries and mighty echoes in my life, but Ocean can can swing and a miss, especially based on concepts, because I think we have a stronger concept album on this list. 
do, we do, which we'll definitely get to. Um, but I'll go to my five, which was definitively not a concept <laughs> album. And it was really tough. Like, the difference between my five and my four, particularly, is like a hair's breadth. I think they're um, the same. It depends how it's going yeah, flip over which way it goes. Yeah. I have Straight from the Heart by Ann Peebles at number five. Yes. Okay. So good. do I. I mean, here's here's the biggest drawback. I'll get it out of the way uh, immediately. The vocal recording quality, it's really unfortunate. That was my only it's, negative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's it. Like it takes away from what could be such a phenomenal record. Like I, I hope someday, with all of the albums that have been remastered and retouched, um, yeah, over the last decade. I would love to see somebody go into the Ann Peebles discography and really see what modern technology could do for the recording quality because, I mean, she kills it. She's got a really great <coughs> voice. It's such a soulful record. The backing oh, yeah. band absolutely kills it. They don't phone it in for a little, not even for a moment. The The high rhythm section, like, really, really excellent on this record and, and a couple yeah. other, like, they also played for Al Green and Otis Clay and, like, a handful of people like that. They're in the Memphis Music Hall of Fame. Uh, and honestly, I think they should maybe even be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like a lot of the other backing groups um, from record labels sort of like this. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure, sure I time to shout them out, too, because they don't necessarily always get all the credit. But yeah, it, really it, great record. And I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think for me, the thing for this record that really stood out in a positive way. The negative way was the recording quality, yeah. unfortunately. But positively, this album is called Straight From The Heart, and I could feel the anger. Mm. Like, I could legitimately feel anger in her in her vocal and her words sure. at times. And it just felt so, like, visceral to me. And when you can sing with such clear emotion that... It adds such a layer to the song and to the quality behind it. That is like my bread and butter. I love it sure. so much. And yeah, she was number five for me as well, straight from the heart. Excellent. Uh, we're really so, on a roll. <clears throat> yeah, we are. I'm for yours. Anyway, up, we're, man. We're agreeing. We're disagreeing on mine, yeah. but that's fine. But only slightly. Yeah, I mean, hey, if we were the same on both of them, why even have two lists? Exactly. Uh, so my number five was actually a bit of a surprise. I thought it would be higher hmm. based on everything that we talked about with this artist on the episode. Uh, so my number five is Altered Beast by Matthew Sweet. Okay. And here's really what it boiled down to. I don't have a complaint about the album. Uh, really at all. But... I, like, it doesn't compare to Girlfriend for me. Mm, okay. For some reason, I listened to, so I listened to Altered Beast, and then because we had to delay this podcast a little bit, I listened to Girlfriend. Oh, uh, okay. And was like, like wow, it's just, it's just so much stronger as a complete album to me that Altered Beast went down just a little bit. I mean, I still really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think that Matthew Sweet is... One of my hidden gems of this season. I agree. Of an artist that I really had no clue about. With the one hit song exception, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I will say some interesting stuff is uh, a lot of really good guest musicians on this album. Always with them. Uh, yeah. Most notably for us was uh, was Mick Fleetwood. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, is, which is interesting. Uh, I also... There was, uh, there was a clip... And there's a there's a film that this this album has a song clip of, and the film is uh, Caligula, which is a very weird movie. I watched it. I haven't seen years it, but I ago. know its reputation. It's yeah, it is like a sexually explicit graphic film. Yeah, uh, starring Malcolm McDowell, who was you know a very famous actor. And I heard the clip, and I heard McDowell, and I was like, "This can't be Caligula." <laughs> and it was. I looked. I went into the track listing, and it was. So that was a very interesting little Easter egg. That's nice. But again, really enjoyed it. Just 
Girlfriend's a little stronger of an album to me. Okay, I had that at number four for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny, you know, when the first song came on, I was there like, hmm, this might be a long record. <laughs> yeah. I thought the first song was like pretty mediocre. And I was worried. And then it seemed to me from there on with each song, it got better and better and better to the point. But like halfway through, I was really digging it. Um, and the reason is, is just because he has such a good command of writing in different genres, like from song to song on this record, you genuinely have no idea what you're going to get in terms of genre, in terms of the influences, in terms of the instrumentation, excuse me, that's going to be on the song. Like, and I thought that was all like complemented pretty well by, I, I don't know if it's his style in particular, because like he plays guitar on this record and also like has a handful of other featured guitarists who come in and play lead. But I feel like there is a character that all the leads kind of have where it's like a little bit sloppy and offbeat, but done that way to fit the song. You know, what, sure. you know what I mean? Like, because not every guitar solo needs to be technically amazing. Sometimes you want something that's like a little bit sloppier to fit the fit your song better. Uh, and I feel like that kind of was the one through line of all of the totally different things, song to song. And I and I really liked it a lot. Yeah, listen, I we're 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 splitting hairs here, and we have to at some point. So. Yeah, of course. Really, I really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, we'll probably listen to parts of it again. Just not quite as strong as Girlfriend for me. Sure. And my number four, because that's how we're doing this. Yes. <clears throat> and I, this is the one for me personally, and you can agree or disagree with me, Nick. If I listen to these again and re-ranked them, this might move down a bit for me. I think I know what it is. It's gonna ball by Stray Cats. Mm-hmm. I I think at the time when I ranked these, there was just because Stray Cats are such a, a different genre than a lot of the stuff we listen to. True. Yeah. And I think that it was just a refreshing moment for me, and I mm-hmm. think that definitely upped it a little bit. I don't. It's hard to argue with Brian Setzer and the style of music that Stray Cats put out. Yeah. It's it's strong stuff. But I feel like it's it suffers a little bit. I feel like this album is also comes out the same year as their debut album, which we did listen to. Right. And I feel like there was not a ton of added content. Uh, yeah. Not a right. ton of growth. And Similar to how ACDC suffered, I think that if Stray Cats was earlier on in the season for me, this album might have been the number seven instead of ACDC, mm. and everything else would have bumped up by one. Yeah, But I still enjoyed it. I mean, the, the rockabilly genre, that that really like pumping, swinging feel, like you mm. want to just get up and move a little bit, is really interesting. Setzer's playing, obviously, is really incredible, and... That's about it. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to really wax poetic about it when I, I do think that my opinion might change. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I had this at number six, not because I didn't enjoy all of it, but here's what I mean: like it is very consistently in character, and that character is not necessarily one note. Like, obviously, they're a rockabilly group, yeah, but. but I do feel like they definitely tried to push the range of what Rockabilly could be on this record. You know, it's not all necessarily the same one, four, five songs. Um, But there aren't really any high points to look back on either. It's just like, I enjoyed that half an hour. It was consistently good. There was no bad, but there was also no great. Sure. And that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So it was number four. It is number four for me, but I could easily see a re-rank shuffling these around a little bit for me. Sure. Does that mean it's my turn? It does. So I'm on to my number four, which... I'm not worried about this. I feel, with your description last time, I think we're still in sync here. Okay. 
So my number four is a, a really good record. It was the commercial breakthrough for this artist. Um, and, and a couple of the songs, basically the first two songs were, were pretty big hits for him. Um, and, you know, have been covered many times since. And it's Bridge of Sighs by Robin Trower. Yep. Which, yeah, I mean, Day of the Eagle and Bridge of Sighs is your first two tracks. Like, it's it's almost like that's the downfall of the record in the sense that, like, those two tracks are just so strong. <laughs> and they're the first two that you get. Yeah. Like, not that the the rest of the album really drops off or anything but it doesn't quite have that same high the rest of it is still very good though uh and trower is in, playing some excellent guitar throughout here actually some of the guitar on this album reminds me or perhaps you know based on the time frame uh, i'm very influential on a young alex lifeson perhaps. sure um i definitely use like the first couple of tracks my biggest comp was like Hendrix because it was blues and psychedelic. Um, But I think he, he is a little bit more himself on this record um, than he was on, on the first two. And that's great. I mean, it works out perfect for them because, and, and the album artwork, (laughs) the album artwork is so cool. I love it. I love this record cover. Simple, but elegant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's all I have to say. Uh, Yeah, and and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think it's always so interesting. I don't understand what it is with Robin Trower, and I guess to a lesser extent, like just Procol Harum in general, is other than, for Procol Harum, obviously, other than Waiter Shade of Pale, I forget how good they are when I'm not actively listening to them. (laughs) Like, I saw Robin Trower, Bridges Size, on the list, Mm -hmm. and I remember you talking to me about it being good. Yeah. Before. But honestly, when we were doing, I think when we were, like, listing which albums we're listening to for Robin Trower, you were surprised Bridges Size was on the list. I was shocked. Right. And so listening to it again, a, a very similar case to you, the first two songs, I was like, oh, I... I had already listened to where I have or who I have ranked as your number one. Okay, and I was like, "Are we going to have an argument here?" Mm. And we didn't. We didn't have an argument. Okay. Uh, the 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 rest of the album does not fall flat, but definitely I, fall off a little bit. Yeah. If only from, like if he had bookended it. Yeah. Like starts with Day of the Eagle, ends with Bridge of Size, then maybe they were. They were two very strong hits right yeah. off the jump. And then you get to In This Place and The Fool and Me, and they're good. They're enjoyable. Yeah, oh, sure. Like, and in terms of, like, blues, like, rock and roll blues mix, like, mm-hmm. it's all very strong stuff. He sounds great. Absolutely. Just, it went from, like, an A-plus to maybe, like, an A-minus, B-plus for the rest of the album. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which lowers the ranking a little bit. And I guess that brings me to my number three. And again, my top three are all like really, really great. I I am so scared. I'm starting to get scared. Yeah, you should be. Because I want to have all seven of yours the I same know. now. It's going to be tough. Now, I'll tell you my number three. I know Bridge of Size is an album that I talked to you quite a lot about during the season. Yeah. I, I had the literal same exact comments for number three. Like, when we got to this artist, I was like, I cannot believe we're not doing this album. It's the one that I know that's really famous. I'm, I'm shocked right And now. it's Not a Pretty Girl by yeah. Ami DeFranco. Yep. Which, I mean, uh, it, it's everything that is great about her as an artist on this record. You get, like, yeah. just wonderful writing. Uh, like... By far, in terms of like of the fourteen albums that we listen to, I'm going to say this one is the best written lyrically. Um, and the compositions are really interesting. Like, there's no just strumming four chords and calling it a day as a folk singer. It's a variety of different tunings. It's a variety of rhythm patterns being used and changed throughout the song. 
Um, just such a unique approach to the guitar as an instrument that she takes. Um, and, you know, every every song was was really powerful, whether it was like high energy or power in its reservedness for the message of the song. Like it was overall really well done. And if Ani DeFranco is an artist that you're into, not a pretty girl would still be the album that I recommend compared to all the other. I mean, it's just, it is exactly who she is um, and what message you're going to get. Yeah. Listen, I couldn't agree more. Uh, not a pretty girl was phenomenal. It's that perfect podcast mix of like Indian folk rock and beautiful, beautiful writing. Like, such emotion in the writing. Ani DeFranco has skyrocketed my list of writers who I would love to emulate in in some type Mm -hmm. of way as, like, an influence. And being able to take the clear emotion that you're feeling as an artist and just write it out. Yeah. To the point where, like, I personally think there are few like few artists whose songs could be covered and have the artist's original emotion be conveyed still mm-hmm. if that makes sense like i think like yeah, yeah, yeah. i think one of the big parts of a cover is like the cover artist is putting their own emotion into the song mm-hmm. and so their emotions what's shining through but i think an artist with the writing strength of like an ani defranco or uh, talking to some other like incredible writers we've had in the past, like Ben Folds, mm-hmm. uh, or even like if you go all the way back to like Phil Oaks, yeah, is you are you are so clearly able to capture the emotion of the writing that Ani DeFranco's message would still shine right through a cover, mm. and and that's I think a, a high compliment to give. Like, yeah, I agree. Very enjoyable stuff from her. Yeah. Now you didn't say where you ranked it though. Oh, I ranked it at number three. Oh, you did. Okay, so yeah. Sorry, I was. I was. Yeah, I was. I was. Okay. Yeah, I had, I had well passed that moment yeah. of okay of relief. These top three for me are all just like so in the yeah, stratosphere that it was so tough to differentiate. I wouldn't have been surprised if this is where we twisted around a little. I yeah, I'm still a little worried, but so okay. far we've been doing very well. We have uh, my number three, and honestly, I'll tell you what happened. I listened to this album first. Okay. Uh, and it was because it was the one I knew the best. I wonder if we listened to the same album first. Uh, maybe. Uh, and it just kept beating the albums that I listened to afterwards for a while with my stuff. And it's Viva La Vida. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I have that at number three. And it was... It was close and I think the big thing for me which is what made this album really stand out for me and I'm sorry I guess I should the full album is Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends friends. and it was really enjoyable so we were I was torn uh, when we when we made the list we Rightfully wanted to include a Coldplay album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked about them since episode one. Uh, right. And we were torn between X and Y and Viva La Vida. And I looked at both of them and I ended up settling on Viva La Vida. And I'm so glad I did because I think what I love the most about this album is that it's so Coldplay all the way through. But this is a group that could easily have been resting on their laurels. I mean, they've Mm -hmm. had, this is their fourth album. They have had very sustained success at this point, and they have a very definitive sound. And I I love that they didn't just put out another cookie-cutter album of it being exactly the same stuff. I agree. And they really experimented more than I expected to hear. Like, yes, there is the the prototypical, like, you're going to hear Chris Martin's vocal, you're going to hear a piano-led group, <coughs> and all of that, th- all of that. But you're getting 
different different genres and moments, different tempos and moments. And you're getting like even from the start, like you're starting with life in Technicolor. That is very uh ironically I was going to say atmospheric. Yes. And it's hilarious because it's produced by Brian Eno, that's, who is known for that's that's his bread creating butter. these kaleidoscopes of sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even when you start going through, like you get lost, 42, Lovers in Japan, like all of these songs are so different. And then, of course, you do get Viva La Vida, which is quite possibly like the quintessential Coldplay song. It's arguable, but I think like that, like bump, 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 bump. Sure. I think that's one of the most well-known moments in Coldplay's history. Mm Mm-hmm. And it really just surprised me how different it was from what I was expecting, which was just more of the same from them. Yeah. So it's fine. I've actually, I've listened to that record probably about a billion times uh, since it came out in 2008. Uh, And for some reason I was still underestimating it going in and it was really, really close to me putting it at number one for you. I put it at number two though. It's my number two. And I really think upon re-listen, like this is probably where they peak as a group. I think this is the I think so best too. album. I think it truly is. I think, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you said, Brian Eno producing, because the overall sound of this album is one of the best. It's one of the best sounding albums I've ever heard. Like it's it is produced so good, so well. The atmospheres are perfect. The texture of the music is perfect uh i love the variety in the songwriting i think it's it's almost like progressive pop this is like almost a prog pop album uh in their approach to songwriting the way things like blend together one song to the next uh you mentioned 42 which is one of my favorite on this life in technicolor is just i think probably the best demonstration of how great it's like put your best pair of headphones on it. Uh, and then the only other song I wanted to yeah. mention there is, uh, is Violet Hill, which is one of my absolute favorites from the record. <clears throat> yeah. Listen, I'll, I'll wax poetic all the time. Yeah. I really enjoy this album. And like I said, it, it's the album I listened to first. Right. And so when I listened to, last, I just, because kept... I already knew it so well, I was like, if sure, because when I originally didn't know the timeline, and I was having a hard time finding time for everything. I was like, well, if I don't get to this one, I already know all the songs. So I can figure it out. Sure. But I'm so glad that I really That makes sense. It. Yeah. I. Yeah. And I, I fought back and forth with myself between my number three and my number two mm. for so long. And, and I'm, I'm curious here where you're going to rank this one. Well, uh, there's only two numbers left for me. I know. Uh, at number two, I have the Grand Illusion by Styx, and I was so torn between this and and uh, Viva La Vida. What really swayed me, I think, was they're good in different ways. That's certainly true. Uh, for for the Styx, for for the Grand Illusion, there's just so much like theatrical moments there's so much you know energy throughout the entire album there's so many like moving parts to the songs and I think realistically what it boils down to for me as a vocalist Dennis DeYoung and Tommy Shaw are they are killer I mean Chris Martin's a good singer yeah but like he's not Dennis DeYoung or Tommy Shaw I mean they are they are so phenomenal to hear just effortlessly do things that 99% of humanity just can't do. It's so, I mean, that just elevated it just that little bit for me. And I mean, we're, we're talking like once we're getting into the top two or three for each of us, it's like micrometers of difference between Mm -hmm. these albums for me, at least. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. And, this album was just the album that I knew separated itself a little bit with those intricate moments and having come sail away 
a killer song. Every time I listen to Come Sail Away, I love what we I love our version of it. Of course. I love our version of it. But man, that that breakdown in the middle where oh, it sure. just goes wildly off the rails. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, that would be so fun. But also like I would be bored at the point. Of course. Not actually, because like in the moment it's different. Yeah. But I would just be like, all right, I'm ready whenever. Uh, but it's it's such an interesting song and it's such an interesting album. And I think that Styx is a group that when I was younger, I I knew Mr. Roboto because it was in popular <laughs> culture. And I feel so bad for anybody that only knows sure. Styx as like the Mr. Roboto group yeah, because they're so much more than that. And I'm glad that I like became somebody who's interested in music to get to hear more of them. And then we did them on the podcast and mm-hmm. got to hear even more. Sure. Well, as I've said before, like as a, as a very young fellow, Styx was my favorite band. Like, yeah. By the time I was like seven years old, the Styx greatest hits album was essentially like my Bible. Like it was what sure. I lived by. I listened to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I knew every second of that music. Um, and I, I ranked it number five. Um, and here's what's more. I skipped Come Sail Away when I listened to it. <laughs> Not because <laughs> I think it's a bad song, but it is. But... it has become in that category for me where I put some other like super classic songs like Black Dog or Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, where it's just sure. like, if I have to hear it, it's definitely a quality tune. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Right. But I have heard it so many times in my life already that I will never willingly listen to it again. Sure. Like I'll never intentionally put it on. That I do not also say for the title track, The Grand Illusion, which is fantastic. So good. And then Fooling Yourself, The Angry Young Man. I honestly believe the first two minutes of that song during the synth solo are probably the two best minutes in Styx's entire discography. The intro solo into Fooling Yourself is is so good. It's so incredibly captivating and interesting. I, I don't think they've ever done anything better than that solo. I love it so much. I I totally okay. get where you're coming yeah. from. Um, and I really love Miss America, too, like mm-hmm. a, a rare J, JY um, vocal. Uh, but I do find that the rest of the album is just kind of there. Like, I, I think that. the hits were the hits for a reason, and the rest of the album is like fine. I think I think this album really speaks to you and I have a lot of similarities in the songs we like and the music we like. And as the podcast has shown, we also have a lot of differences. For sure. And I think albums like this really showcase both because we're both yeah. waxing poetic, but one of the things that I really like about art and music and things like that is like theatricality is performance. And I think the songs that you're saying are just there are the songs where I'm like, but I love the, the, the performance of it. Like it's, it's so performative and, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just saying performative and theatrical, but those are the two big things for me is I, I, this album made me, want the sticks jukebox musical mm, interesting okay like like maybe not I just of this that. album but sure. a sticks jukebox musical would be great fair enough and now i will move on to my number two and this is where uh, and my number two believe it or not is not a number two it's actually a number five okay so, <laughs> i can see that we've had a complete agreement on nick that I was so worried because yeah. if you didn't have what you have at number one and it number one, I was going to quit. It's I was so going to quit the entire yeah, episode. Yeah, but not to like not to get ahead of ourselves because my number two album is yeah. Chicago Five, and yes. it is marvelous. Um, I picked it mostly because I was trying to get one that a had at least one big hit, and b wasn't one of their double albums because the first several albums that they put out were all doubles, and I was trying to like kind of ease in our listening this week. But that being said, like you don't lose anything by picking from any of the Terry Kath Chicago records. Like there's no. there's so much to gain from listening to any of them. I mean the the jazz rock compositions are just out of this world good. Uh, the acapella breakdown and dialogue part two is so great. Like it's so brilliantly executed. 
and of course it's got arguably chicago's biggest song like it's in the neighborhood of of being their biggest song in that like top three in saturday in the park which is just like you don't get much better than that like that song is perfect on every level uh the composition is perfect the execution is great the vocals are wonderful the story is lush uh like everything about that song is is fantastic uh and you even get a rare acoustic guitar moment on the last track, Alma Mater, from Terry Kath, which is which is really interesting and an excellent to hear. Yeah, listen, I'm echoing all of this. It was it was my number one through most of the listing. It was the second album I listened to. And it was your number one up until the last album I listened to. Oh, which okay. To be fair, I listened to it last because I had a sneaking suspicion it might climb the rank, mm-hmm. but it was so close for a lot of it. And I, yep, uh, Chicago is a group to me that I've heard and known all my life without experiencing a lot of their music. Like I've sure. heard the hits, I've heard them in pop culture, I've heard them discussed. I know enough about them, and I know obviously the Terry Kath story. I know a lot of things about them without necessarily knowing all of the songs. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of these classic rock artists mm-hmm. in in pop culture is like you know parts of them but unless you really listen and deep dive, especially artists like Chicago with such a like large deep discography. Yeah. Like where to start? Where to sink your teeth into? This is a great place to start and sink your teeth into. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, as you mentioned, Nick, it's manageable in terms of length. 45 minutes, more mm-hmm. normal. Like, you you know, you do look at Chicago and see the first few albums that are like, I don't have time. I just am yeah. not. And this would be a great spot to start. It is really well produced. It really, it sounds great. There's a lot of variation involved. A really strong contender and a really great addition to the best of the rest. Yeah, uh, agreed. And <laughs> on to my number one. And like, how it could, could it only not be? be this? Yeah, I mean, and and no disrespect, the first six albums were all excellent, but Metropolis Part Two by Dream Theater, uh, I, it is like the perfect record in every sense of it. I mean, the production is spot on. The playing, as much as we've praised a lot of the playing on these other records, there is no better musicianship on any of the other thirteen records that we listen to than this one. Uh, every part of it from each individual instrumentalist, the vocalist, James Libri, like they are all absolute top notch. And this is the writing also at its best. Go ahead. I'm not even kidding you. Seriously. The writing of this album. So I, you, I I believe gave me a very quick breakdown of the story of this album. I'm not, which is a con. Yeah. Oh, you, you might not if you didn't. I know we talked about it like at the time we were doing Dream Theater and like because I knew going in season that this was going to be one of our best of the rest. Yeah. I like yeah. realistically if you didn't give it to me and I just I it was so clear what the story was that I assumed I'd been told it. Mm. So this is a concept album and I will let you give the concept it's your number 1. Okay. But it was so evident and clear to me and so well done yeah throughout oh for sure um i'll I'll try to be brief like um but the concept is essentially like there's a guy who is going through like psychotherapy and they're doing like past life stuff with the hypnotherapist um and he sees a girl um uh, and it like it's all starting to feel familiar to him, and he realized that the the uh, he was this girl in a past life, and she was murdered, and that she was haunting him to reveal the truth about her murder or something like that. Um, yeah, and so she was distanced from the person that she was with. Uh, his name was Julian, and. Basically, he had like drinking and gambling problems, and so she sought comfort um, in his brother Edward and began having an affair. And so the main character basically is like, okay, so because of that, Julian murdered um, 
Victoria, who's the name of the woman, um, and then killed himself. And then there was like a, a newspaper article that covered the events and had testimony. And but then he begins to doubt like the events over the course of it. This is all still Act One. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he talks to someone who is more familiar with the case. Uh, and basically, he he comes to the point in his therapy where he's like, "Well, I have to solve this murder, or I can never move on with my life. My yeah. whole life is too like clouded by this." issue that i have to like solve it and put it to bed so i can move on um and then you get the second act which talks a little bit more about the situation between julian and victoria and edward um and the main character goes to edward's old house like in real reality and thinks he solved the mystery basically saying um that julian killed victoria and edward um, and position himself as a witness in the newspaper article. And he comes to terms with everything. And they end their session. Um, yep. And then the, the whole album cuts to the perspective of Edward. Um, and basically, as soon as Victoria began to reconcile with Julian, Edward was the one who confronted them and murdered them. Um and so he was the one actually behind all instead of Julian. And the main character essentially, after believing that he solved it when it was actually the opposite, uh, goes home. But he's followed by the therapist. And the therapist was actually like Edward's reincarnation. And the therapist yeah. was like the one he was basically telling his whole past life story to the person who in their past life actually did commit this particular murder. And then we're led to believe, although it is open-ended, I think we're led to believe that, like, our hero is killed by the hypnotherapist at the end. Yeah, to complete the cycle. Yeah. It's wild stuff. It's, it's crazy. I, I want to reiterate, that's a music album. Yeah. That's just, an, like, that's not, like, a plot of a film. That's a music album. That mm-hmm. is, and you, and I, I can't be more clear that you get all of that in the album. Yeah. As like, long as you get it all. Sure. As long as you're listening actively throughout this mm-hmm. album, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's like, really cool. Just, just that part of it. Obviously, you're getting Dream Theater, so you're getting top-tier musicianship. We discussed that on the episode. Oh, yeah. How good of a, musicianal gr- a musicianship in the group they are. Uh-huh. But... You're getting so much more. It's it was truly, yeah, majestic. And I remember when we, because we basically, the way that we chose our albums this year, and and now we've done it previously mm-hmm. in the past as well. We get a big list of. I'm going to cough again. Contenders. <laughs> yeah, I get a big list of contenders, and kind of draft them back and yeah. forth, so we know we get a good mix. And this went 101. And I'm not shocked. It was it was the album that I wanted to listen to and you wanted to listen to. It went 101. And it, it for good reason. Yep. It held up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. And that brings us to the last album on our list. Which, honestly, I was hopeful for this album. I know you were. Because of how much I enjoyed this artist on the season. And I was worried. Because there's so few albums by this artist. True. That like, they all need to be good. And it's the story of Sonny Boy Slim by Gary Clark Jr. Was my pretty clear number one. Mm-hmm. This album what. Was so good to listen to. I mean, it's got blues, rock, R&B. Obviously, you're getting some soul with Gary Clark. Mm-hmm. You're getting just top-notch. I, 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 we're we're going to just sit here and wax poetic, I assume. Because you're getting top-notch playing. The guitar, the emotion in the guitar playing throughout this was just incredible to listen to. The emotion in the writing. This is This is a dude who has been through it. 
and is writing from that place. And it's so evident to me. And then just the overall, the vibe of the album, you get this really, like, this really interesting and delicate mix of, like, timeless in terms of, like, the blues and and things like that. Like, these timeless classic sounds of, like, blues and rock and mixed with a much more modern R&B sound back and forth between those two. And he treads that, like, water so gracefully as sure. he's going through it that it makes these more modern sounds sound just as classic and timeless as the blues and the rock sounds of a hundred years ago. And it was an album that I, I was, I was actively listening in the beginning and I, I just kept sinking into the album Mm -hmm. and not, not, not listening to write notes. Sure. And it was like, I, I kept having to like, no, no, no. I need to like, I need to talk about this album in a minute. I can't just keep Uh fading into it. I need to like actively write things. And it was so easy to just completely lose myself in the songs. And he writes such relatable lyrics. Uh, Like Gary Clark Jr., he won our Wait and See Award pretty much unanimously this season. Yeah. And I listening to this just reinvigorated that for me. Like... I am hungry for more work by this artist. Like yeah. I'm I I want I like more than almost anybody this season. And more than like honestly there's few there's few artists on the podcast that I actively hunger for more work from yeah. like Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. Other than like I mean listen we could go all the way back like I would I like another prime Elton John album sure. Like, yeah, but that's obviously I'm, like pain. I'm saying things but... that can't happen. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. like yeah. artists that can put out more content in the way that they can. Like this is a dude who I don't know if we've seen his ceiling, and I can't wait to see his ceiling. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's not much more for me to say. I got like three or four songs into this, and I was like, all right, well, this is going to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, right. It didn't take very long. Uh, everything like you said like he found a sound and that sound is is pulling from a variety of different places and he's so comfortable in it and it sounds great it sounds not just comfortable but trying to trying to think of the right words it it feels smooth it like you said it's so easy to get lost in yeah um i mean and he really is a killer guitarist he's got a really great voice too Um, I mean, everything, I I have no negatives that I could possibly even conceive of with an artist like this, you know? It was, it was so clear. It was honestly surprising to me how much our, our collective number ones distanced themselves this season. Yeah, sure. Like, I think that both of them were clear cut far and away number ones. I think so. And then... There was a distinct shift before you get to the much closer two, three, four, and then a little bit of a drop. Yeah, I think like it was very fun this season. Again, all really, really good, but I think the winners were obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to uh, to Dream Theater and Gary Clark Jr. for being the best of the rest. Your awards are in the mail. Yep the uh, the. Yes, the mail for yes. sure. I definitely did that. I know. Now, speaking of season six, since you keep bringing it up, yeah, <laughs> uh, I will of course give my end of year wrap up. Uh, here's what you can look forward to in next season, because there will be a next season. Fear not. Uh, and in that season, we will cover the following artists, amongst many, many more. Yes, we're going to have Bill Haley and his comets getting right to, down to the roots of rock and roll. We're going to have Dolly Parton, uh, Rod Stewart, and then who goes better with Dolly Parton and Rod Stewart than Devo? Oh, my God. Uh, uh, we've got the Velvet Underground coming up uh, and someone who drew inspiration from them and Avril Lavigne. Uh, and we also have Amy Winehouse, we have Foreigner, we have Nirvana, and Bjork. Good old Bjork. 
So it'll be all you know, over the place as usual. I'll I'll tell you, Nick, uh, a quick Bjork story. Oh, good. Because you have Bjork no story. idea about this. Uh, uh, my fiance and I watch a show. Uh, it's our guilty pleasure show. It's called The Masked Singer. Right. Which I it combines two of my favorite things in the world. Masks. And then a couple of my least favorite things, but two of my favorite things in the world are singing and crime solving. Mm. And The Masked Singer is like uh, a quick overhead concept is you have these singers who are wearing these elaborate costumes who give little clue packages about who they are and leave it open to guess. And like I'll give you like a like a quick I- example of a clue. There was somebody holding a, a like a little participation trophy with Tony Danza's face on it okay. to signify they won a Tony award. Gotcha. Like that level of clue where like you got to be paying attention. So that's what I love about it. Um I do hate one of the judges uh which is Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg. She is just not. I mean, regardless of how you feel about her as a person, I just don't like her as a judge. Uh, But Ken Jeong is on the show, who is a hilarious comedian. Unless you've seen his stand up, which is god awful. Yeah, I'm talking as an actor. I have not seen his stand up. As an actor, he's a very funny comedian. What I'll say. There's you won't be able to see any more than about five minutes if you try to stand up. Ooh, that's you rough. will give up actively. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. I do think he's much more performing. Like he feeds sure. off of people. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Nothing against him. Just letting you know if you were yeah. ever going to try it, don't. I might not. You said that, <laughs> but try it like in the way that you would <laughs> yeah. like watch a movie that's really really bad or listen to the Shags. Sure. There we go. Um. But his favorite thing is whenever he is not sure of an artist, he will just claim that they're Bjork. Ah, uh, okay. Like, no matter what. So every time I hear Bjork, I'm just like, ha, Bjork. It's it's well, become what I know about Bjork, even though I know uh, a couple Bjork songs. Do you? I do. Okay. Excellent. Well, we'll put that knowledge to the test in season six. Yes, we will. And honestly, I'm looking forward to it. I am looking Agreed. forward to uh, our little break here. Uh, just, I think it will help us regroup because the world, like life has been tough in terms of like finding time yeah, and working it out. And it's just been, we've been so collectively busy with like getting sick and then other stuff going on. It's like each of us get to take a deep breath and then really attack this next season. And I'm looking, I'm looking for, you know, a lot of chances at, at growth here. I think the the new format will be much more manageable sure. in terms of being able to edit the video because that just has has become such a such a a thorn in my side of how long it takes to edit the episode. I thought it was going to be quicker than it was. That yeah. process has slowed down. So hopefully having the episodes be more manageable will help. Sure. And I'm just looking forward to like mixing it up a little bit. I agree. You know, and I I thought you would. I mean, we're we're 3 years in now. Yeah, it's and a yeah, I think like three years of doing pretty much exactly the same formula. I think like a, a shake up, a mix up, giving us more time to do other things in the same avenue of the podcast. All of this is going to be really good. And I'll tell you, audience, we are really going to be looking for some feedback this season. Like I know we always say, like we're open to feedback, and and, and we want to sure, hear sure. from you. This season with us, like, really making a change. Like, I want nothing more than to hear from y'all and, like, what you're liking about it, what you don't like about it. If you have any other ideas for things we could do, whether that be, like, nonlinear or, like, hey, I like what you're doing with the head-to-head, but add blah. And, right. and like, things like that. I would, I would love nothing more than by the end of this season coming up, season six, we can, like, sit down with each other and be like, well... The audience loves this thing that we do. This thing, not so much. They maybe want to see us try this and that, like, and have a real discussion about it based on some feedback. So, would love to hear from you. Uh, you can you can hit us up. Uh, Nick's cell phone number is B. <laughs> no, but uh, you can hit us up. You can absolutely hit us up on our socials. Uh, Totem talks. Is uh, if you search that social on Instagram, 
you will find us. Uh, you can also just hit us up on low underscore totem if you're lazy and already follow the band page. Uh, but find us, get us, hit us up, slide into those DMs. Uh, and more importantly, while you're doing all of that, have a great day. <laughs>